calling all golf lovers in the house. In the house. <laughs> I wonder sure what the we... crossover is, the demographic between horror movies for my listeners who also love golf. I don't know. I don't let know. Let us know, listeners. Let us know. I would love to know who our golfing guys are. I would I would be, <laughs> I would be pleased. I, I used to date a, someone who ran a golf course, so oh. you never know. You never know. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I am Julia. And I'm Terry. And this week we're talking about 1945's Dead of Night. Title of this episode is None of Us Exist at All. And the tagline for this movie is Even Greater Than the Seventh Veil. Which uh, a reference I don't I don't understand, but in 1945, I'm sure I would have this would have been a thing. Uh, this really, movie... I mean, I don't understand either. All I know of the Seventh Veil is the strip club in Hollywood. Yes. That's called the Seventh Veil. That's like on like sunset, I think, right? Raisin, yeah, raising hell of the seventh veil. I mean, girls, girls, girls said it's best. girls, girls, girls. <laughs> I yes! you were, yeah, I bet you guys weren't expecting that right off the bat, were you? <laughs> we weren't either. <laughs> so this is an anthology horror movie. So we have a lot of writers and a lot of directors. So here we are, uh, written by John Baines, Angus McPhail, T. E. B. Clark, H. G. Wells. E.F. Benson, and directed by Basil Dearden, Robert Hamer, Charles Crichton, and Alberto Cavalcanti. So there we are. It's a, a horror anthology, and everybody loves a horror anthology. Um, this round, we should say, uh, is inspired uh, by our, our lovely uh, sound recorders producer, uh, Sierra Rain. Hello, Sierra. Our amazing editing producer. She's the best. I love you, Sierra. We're so excited to do these next round of films per your recommendation. We hope you enjoy listening to us talk about all your favorite movies and some of your recommendations here. So I'm excited to get into this. Uh, me specifically, this film, because I had never heard of it. And of course, we love our classic horror. And I thought this movie was fucking rad. Yeah, it's super good. Super, super good. Um, I it's it's I love black and white. I love classic anything. I think me and Julia both have a, a big affinity for the Turner Classic Movie t- style collection and talking about old films. Um, and this did not disappoint. Um, nice tension. Um, creepy, creepy, uh, like uh, ghost stories in the night kind of style stories. So um, I'm super excited to, uh, to to dive in. Let's do it. So uh, we open with um, our protagonist, our, our hero, I, I guess you'd call him, uh, Walter Craig, who is played by Mervyn Johns, who is coming to, he's an architect, who's coming to stay with strangers for the weekend. Yeah, out uh, in the country, randomly. Okay. Seems sus, but also feels very British. Like, oh, we're about to have like a crime mystery novel drama, like Agatha Christie, you know, all of those like murder mystery nights. So I'm very big, big into murder mysteries. I love like d- mystery dinner theater. Um, that, I'm that kind of a theater nerd, so I was very excited to see uh, see this kind of setup. And so it, he's driving, mm-hmm. 
and for me, it's it's just kind of like all people in one room. So that's one of my favorite things as well. My so dinner with okay. Andre fa- kind of favorites. Yes, yes. Julia. <laughs> Give me some characters in a room. That's all I need. I'm a happy bunny. Uh, try, just trying to figure it out. But it's a beautiful entrance where he's driving down a beautiful English country road in this gorgeous little roadster. And he looks like he's seen something before. Like, oh, um, is this the place? Double checking where he's at. Hops out of the car and gets greeted by a gentleman. But he has this look of bewilderment this whole time while he's being introduced to the fine folks in the room and thinking, huh, and he says something very suspicious that he says, it's not a dream this time. So he says that he has dreamt about all of them and the, like the specific situation and the specific people, even though he's not met them. And so they all think it's very funny. They're like, oh, we're just characters in your dream. None of us exist at all. Like as soon as you wake up, we all disappear. Um, so they, they, they think it's funny. Um, and, but he's looking as you do. And I think we've all had the situation where you've had a moment where you're like, oh, I've dreamt this and it's real weird, but I can't imagine having that prolonged where like everything they're saying is what you've dreamt about. It would really creep you out. It's like ultimate deja vu, like super hard. And so, yeah, that like we're just it's never ending and you think you're in the dream. And so he's like doesn't even shake the people's hand. Like he just looks at them kind of in the eyes like, uh, why do I know you? Um, there We find out, though, there is a psychologist in the bunch. And so he's actually kind of been helping everyone in the room um, dealing with different problems. And the psychologist insists, oh, this must be a recurring dream. Those are quite common links to something else uh, that you're dealing with in your life. So. We'll see. But also everyone's like been in the paper for some reason. Um, They've all been, you know, having different um, kind of extenuating circumstances, whether it's like a lady who got engaged. They're like, maybe you saw my engagement announcement in the paper. And other guys are race car drivers. Like, yeah, maybe you saw me in the paper. So. So they uh, start to talk about, you know, the the psychologist is being very clinical and says, you know, this isn't possible. You know, there's only a scientific impulse in your brain. Uh, But they're saying, well, everybody's had a kind of brush where something unnatural or supernatural happen that you can't really explain so they go into these flashbacks or or the horror anthologies where this is where the different stories so we learn that the dream the dream room is the like wraparound story and now we're going to get the flashbacks uh so we flash back to uh, a race car driver um who who is, is in an accident and in the hospital he meets a nurse and asks nurse her to Joyce. marry him. Yeah, and he flirts. So cute. I was like, ooh. But I was also be like, oh, no, you're kind of trapped, though, too, because it's like your job. And this guy is very insistent. He's like, do you got a husband? You, you married? Yeah, you, you, you a single lady? And she's like, uh, yes, I, I am. I was like, I wouldn't tell him. I would just be like, yes, I married. Sorry, bye. Like, fuck out. Uh, but maybe she fancied him. Maybe she thought he was kind of cute. Yeah, maybe she's uh, just into him just a little bit. I'd just like to mention, like, right off the bat, how beautiful the lighting and the cinematography in this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, really spectacular. And, you know, the black and white just makes it even more beautiful in my estimation. Sumptuous. Sumptuous. Ah, good word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, uh, you're wondering what's going on because it's all of a sudden he noticed that there's been issues with the clock in the room bouncing from time to time. All of a sudden it looks like this guy is losing time. Um, they open the window and nurse opens the window for him and it's, it's, you know, kind of like daylight outside. Then all of a sudden she opens the curtains again, what feels like moments later and it's nighttime. Um, and so, there's this real, real play on time and wondering, are we in a dream world? Is he, I'm wondering, is this guy, has he, is he dead? Is he gone to heaven? Are these ghosts? And I'm, I'm questioning everything at this point because of this weird time jump that's going on. So he has a dream where there's a hearse driver who, who says, just room for one inside, sir. Uh, you know, but oh. it's a beautiful classic hearse, not just any hearse. It's one of those old carriage 
purse. I was just like, oh, it's like in front of the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. And I just got really excited looking at that shot. Just, <laughs> oh, it's gorgeous. So when he is discharged from the hospital, he uh, is going to get on a bus. When the bus doors open, the bus driver is the hearse driver that he saw in his dream, who says, just room for one inside, sir. And he's like, eh, I'm going to nope out on this bus here gonna nope not this one and of course that bus gets in an accident so he is saved by the like dream immediately immediately yeah the bus goes over like an edge of a little cliff on the side of, a, of the hill and dun 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 and he tells the people this this uh, if i hadn't had this dream or i hadn't had this you know th- these these visions i wouldn't have known and i hadn't seen that driver before yeah he had a premonition saved his life but of course, Dr. Van Stratton, our psychologist, is shooting down all of the theories. He's just, you have no scientific evidence. You can't prove to me this happened. You say you dreamt it, but how could I believe you? It's in your brain. Um, so then the uh, our, our, our hero, Mr. Walter Craig, uh, predicts, they, they sort of poke him more, like, what else is your dream? So he predicts that um, there will be a penniless brunette latecomer. Um, and but so, she'll you know, be beautiful as yes. well. Like this beautiful brunette is going to be late to this party. And all of a sudden, Joyce walks in. She's the nurse from this uh, dream we had just seen um, or the vision from our race car driver. So she did uh, marry him. Yeah. And she shows up as predicted and she's married to the, the driver. And But Craig is starting to look a little uh, weird because he says that he knows that the night's going to turn bad. Yeah, because the doc's glasses are going to break and then the room is going to turn dark and then something terrible will happen. Yes, exactly. So then we have um, Sally's flashback, who uh, is the most adorable teenage girl you have ever seen. She's so sweet. And she's little so Bobby socks are kind of style, you know, like just a sweet, like perfect little curls, just uh, adorbs. Yeah, super, super, super cute. Uh, so she hers is that she's at a Christmas party in Somerset. Oh. I want to be at a Christmas party in summer. And it's like a fancy dress party. So they're all dressed in costume of different like little, um, it looks like a Halloween, like, but like super festive, like Christmas uh, extravaganza. The kids are playing games. They're dancing around the Christmas tree. They're eating treats. This looks like the best kind of holiday party. I, I, uh, I would very much, very much like to go to this party. This is, Mm -hmm. this is one of the movie parties that I'm like, yeah, I'd like to go to that party. Can we go to that party? Right, right. Yeah, and so the kids are um, playing games, and they decide to play a game of hide and seek. Um, uh, not and sh- hide and seek, though sardines. Right? Sardines. Like, this is the difference is that hide and seek, like you once you're it, but this is when you find somebody, you have to join them, and then they everybody. Like, then all of a sudden, everybody's in a group together, hiding together. So you sardine in. So it's like the ultimate game, and so Sally's it, um, and she's got to go find a place to hide. Um, and so she finds not a great spot. It's just like kind of in like, you know, this like little window nook behind some curtains where right. if, if everyone in that group has to eventually fit there, it's not going to work. So no, but it's fun because it's like mm-hmm. a reverse hide and seek, right? And like you, when you're it, everybody's trying to find you. So mm-hmm. that's and she doesn't know the house. And obviously um, the boy that she has the little flingy fling with uh, Jimmy. Little crush. Yeah. And he's it's his house. So he knows where everything is. So, of course, he finds her immediately and she's like oh here you are okay uh and goes off and tells her the haunted house story don't you, don't you know that this house is haunted and tells her the story about a murder in 1860 in this house mm-hmm. um there was apparently um i think a child of some sort was 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 murdered here um and it's you know kind of terrifying this little story but she's like no i didn't know anything about the story and i don't under- know what you mean 
Um, and they play a little cat and mouse kind of little chase. He tries to take her to a better hiding spot. They end up in kind of this like attic looking room. Um, and they chase each other around in this room as they're waiting for the other kids to find them. But she finds herself all of a sudden going through this closet and then all of a sudden into an another nursery. Um, and in the nursery, she hears somebody weeping and crying. And there's this little boy. Um, and she um, goes and sings to him and helps him and comforts him and puts him to bed. And he's and dressed then, in kind of, kind of old-timey clothes, but it's also a fancy dress party. So you don't really think anything of it. And she doesn't seem particularly perturbed that there's this strange nursery hidden up in the attic but he's uh crying about he's he's afraid that his older sister is going to kill him uh and so she uh you know puts him to bed tucks him in and then goes downstairs and is like hey there's a little boy upstairs and they're like uh what nope yeah yeah nope and and she tells him the name and it's the name of the ghost boy who died in the house and all of a sudden she kind of shrieks and says, I'm not frightened. I'm not frightened. I'm not frightened. But she's saying that to try to calm herself down because she is terrified and frightened. Yes. Well, it's just a room where you've just walked through a time vortex, right? And you've come out the other side. And not only was it it's somebody who is going to be killed very shortly after you leave them. So it's you know, pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying. If you could just walk through, because that's something you, you you see in movies a lot, right? Where you just like, I'm just going to walk through this time period and now I'm back and it never happens again. It's just like this one time only thing. Because usually like once you're back, you're back. But this isn't like a, this is a very temporary, small time vortex. It's astounding. Yes. <laughs> time is Fleeting. Um, so, yes, the, it is it is kind of terrifying. Uh, but the, we come back and Mr. Craig um, predicts that all of a sudden Sally's going to have to leave in an, an abrupt way. And all of a sudden Sally's mom shows up and is like, hey, Sally, you got to come home. And he's like, see, like all these things that he's predicted are happening throughout the yes. night. He also says that he's going to hit her at some point, that she's going to become historical and he's going to hit her. Uh, but then she's leaving. And she's like, well, you didn't hit me. So I guess not everything's true. You go, okay. Uh, so uh, Sally leaves and then we get uh, Jones flashback who uh, in, in a very Oculus manner buys yes, a Yes, I thought about that straight up. I was like, mirror. this is Oculus old school. I got so excited, Julia. I was like, this is very much your shit. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's pre a creepy old mirror. Like, uh, so well yeah. done. Yeah, it's so good. So now thank you, Mike Flanagan. Whenever I see a, a creepy fancy mirror, I will think of Oculus. And rightly so, because that movie's amazing. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Yes. So she uh, she buys a fancy mirror for her husband for his birthday. Yes, Peter. He's going to have a beautiful mirror. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, or, as you they do. They engaged. I'm sorry. They're not husband and yeah, wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're engaged. And also the thing is she's like, oh, it's so difficult to shop for, you know, a man, especially you guys. This guy seems to have kind of everything They're They're kind of well-to-do seemingly couple. And um, she's like, I don't know what to get for him. the man that has everything. You get him a beautiful, ornate old mirror. Sure. Which I, I don't imagine most men would be happy about as a present, but it's also, she's clearly very pleased with herself. So you go, oh, okay. And like a mirror is useful. Sure. Why not? Except. And he seems pleased because it's something, you know, to go in their home and they're, you know, thinking as they're nesting together, you know, and thinking about where they want to move ultimately um, once they get married. It seems like a sweet thing. And he seems really well chuffed about it. He puts it up right away. Um, he goes and, you know, hangs the mirror and um, is looking inside. And all of a sudden he looks in the mirror and he notices the room reflected in the mirror does not look like the room that he is currently standing in. 
Yes. Bum, bum. But of course, when he turns around, it's his actual room. So he can only see in the reflection this other room, which looks very turn of the century with a big fire and it's four poster bed. Clearly, four poster bed not versus this modern bedroom that they have with none of that kind of accoutrement in it. Um, and he confesses to um, to Joan that he's seen things in the mirror and asks us if she got it at a joke shop. Like, oh, is, did you get some special weird mirror for me? And she's like, no, no, no. Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> no, and he says there's, he feels like uh, the, the room is trying to drag him in, that there's something evil waiting on the other side of the mirror for him. Uh, and she, so she's like, okay, well, let's let's go. Let's go look it up and like, let's go uh, look together. Uh, but when they look together, it's the ordinary room. Yep, so. and she can't see it. Only he can. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which would he's... make you feel even crazier. Yeah. He's feeling like super, super like, uh oh, like I'm not well. And he basically is, as things keep going, you know, um, you know, they try to go out and try to get their mind off of it. They go to like, he's like, let's go out and spend lots of money and, you know, get all dressed up. And so they go out to, you know, dance and drink and have a beautiful dinner, but they get back and it's, it's even worse almost now that they've done this. Um, the more he tries to pull away from this mirror, it seems like, or forget about it, the more the mirror has a hold on him and this chamber of horrors that he's experiencing, um, keeps drawing him back in. Um, so she ends up going back to the shop where she bought the mirror and and uh, the bed that he is seeing in his vision is there. So that's something. So she asks him, uh, what happened to, like, is there anything weird going on? Yeah, with the shopkeeper, exposition shopkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives us the, the, the backstory, the tale of, of this man who uh, turns out the last time someone had this furniture set, had this bed in this particular mirror, um, was a murderer. He murdered his, and strangled his wife. He went crazy, basically. Um, and yes, so... he became paralyzed in a horse accident and it was bedridden. So that's mm-hmm. why the bed is so prominent in there. Uh, but then the mirror had been locked up since that whole shenanigans. And then now he has it. So she comes back and Peter's being real weird and is treating her like he doesn't treat her. He's very paranoid and very aggressive. Yeah, um, and and she had gone away, I guess, like even on a weekend, you know, she was and he thought like she was trying to get away from him to go visit a lover. And it turns out like all the things that she just learned in the story about this other gentleman who had the mirror before seems to be coming out of her fiance now, Peter. Actually, they're married now, too. Um, when they move and they and they move to a new they move to a new house um, and he still puts the mirror up in the new house and she's realizes like oh this is all connected to this mirror and this is something wrong and they get in a tussle and a fight in front of that mirror and all of a sudden she can see what's happening through the mirror as she's almost near death as he tries to strangle her and the only thing for her to do is to destroy that mirror so she gets something off the dresser and cracks that mirror apart and breaks it and he tries to fight her back, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And nope. Spell is now broken. She has broken the spell. She has saved the husband. The evil mirror has been destroyed. At least they could destroy it. I mean, yeah. Oof. oof. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it was a, that was a cool one. I like, I mean, that was a very cool segment. That was, um, it was very Oculus. Uh, so right? Craig wants to um, wants to bail now. He's like, eh, you yeah. know what? And they were like, that's quite a story, too. He tells the doctor, like, how can you debunk that? Yes. <laughs> uh, so he says he knows something bad's going to happen. I don't you know, I don't want to be here. I, I'm just I just want to get out while I can. But the doctor convinces him to stay um, and says, no, no, it's fine. We'll stay here. We'll see what happens. Obviously, you're safe. Like, there's nothing going to happen. Everybody's cool. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? 
but they don't know what's waiting. But we get to our next story, our next uh, moment. Um, there's a golf story here. Um, we have a story Calling about a man. all golf lovers in the house. In the house. <laughs> I wonder sure what the we... crossover is, the demographic <laughs> between horror movies for my good listeners who also love golf. I don't know. I don't Let know. Let us know, listeners. Let us know. I would love to know who our golfing guys are. I would I would be I would be pleased. I, I used to date a, someone who ran a golf course. So yeah. you never know. You never know. Shout out uh, to them. Shout out to, to shout out to you. Um so um yes, so this gentleman at this party wants to tell a story about it, his friend that um Mr. Craig has never met. So it's a story about a man he's never met before. A very unpleasant uh story when uh when uh yeah, you sna- get snapped up close to the supernaturals, something that they say. So uh Anyway, there's a two guys that are fighting over girl Mary. Basically, this is a, a beautiful love triangle story. Mm-hmm. So they decide that there's a younger gentleman, there's an older gentleman, and they decide they're they're best buddies. And so they know that this is coming between us. And what is the solution? The solution is we're going to play a round of golf for her, uh, and the loser will disappear forever. Harsh terms. She seems on board with this though. She's like, yeah, okay, you guys she play for help. Us. She could have helped right here. She could yeah. have helped them make a choice. Like she, like not just up to these dudes. Like she could have really helped here. Because obviously anyway. she must have some sort of preference. It seems like she's just like split down the middle. She's like, okay, I'll take either one. It doesn't really matter. Like, oh, okay. Uh, so they. This is when they should have just been a thruple if they could have worked it out. <laughs> oh, they should have. They're best friends anyway, right? Yeah, right? that would have worked out for everybody. This is the modern solution, folks. So they uh, they play, but the older gentleman uh, cheats basically. And apparently and... he cheats a lot on all the time when he plays golf, but we find that out subsequently a little bit later, but he cheats and he gets and he wins. And so all of a sudden Potter, who's the loser, as soon as he loses, walks himself right into the lake and never comes out. He is now the ghost of the lake. He took it seriously. It's not, it's not like he could have just left, but he's like, uh-uh, nothing to live for. Done. The morosest little face as he walks into the lake and that's it. So um, the winner, you know, gets the lake and the girl. But all of a sudden, um, uh, uh, the winner, he ends up out there trying to play some games. And he is forever haunted by his friend out on the course. Yeah, and- just, just fucking with his golf game and, and saying stuff to him. Uh, so it's get, it gets worse and worse. And now the friend's actually showing up at the bar to taunt him. And nobody else can see or hear him. So it's just so he own- looks like crazy legitimately because he just looks like he's talking to himself and doing weird motions and stuff but he's trying to do stuff to help his friend get back to wherever realm he needs to get to but the ghost is attached to him somehow and he doesn't know how to leave it says a ghost must better himself he's got to get better before he can go on to the next world so he wants the the terms are if you leave him alone uh he wants to give up give up mary the girl and golf that's his terms He tells his friends, yeah, I'll stop haunting you if you give up the girl and you give up the golf. So basically everyone loses at this point. Well, so. fair enough, though, right? Because he realized, realized he cheated. So he's like, yeah, you cheated, dude. And this is these are the terms now. But here's yeah. the question. He knew that he cheated at the game. Right. So I know he's like trying to like save face by not calling the guy out. But this is like life or death terms. You should clearly call him out. He's just been like, you cheated it's off. I win or whatever. Like it's kind of his own, his own like self-sacrifice seemed unnecessary a little bit. If he knew that he cheated before he died. Yeah. I wondered about that too. I didn't know if he knew he cheated before he died or if fought, he realized it after. Cause he looked at all his trophies and all the stuff and like, kind of like assessed from where he was at in the like pits of death. I don't know. 
uh, so the, so he says he'll give up Mary and golf. And so the ghost says, okay, well, I'm out of here then, uh, but has forgotten how to vanish. There's this adorable little sequence of hand gestures that you have to do to vanish and he can't remember them. So now he has to remain within six feet of the winner at all times because all that's times. how the rules work. The ghost Them's has to remain. Rules. <laughs> Them's be the rules. And he's stuck. And so it's just like the ultimate, again, it's like they were in life again of like third wheelness where, um, you know, now that's often the wedding day and he's getting married and the ghost is right there the whole wedding. And then they're trying to get down for the wedding night. And Mary's like, oh, hey, now we are finally alone, like together. He does not real. She does not realize the ghost is sitting on the couch with them, literally on the other side of them. Um, and as she tries to, like, actually get a good kiss from him, she's like, we haven't had a good kiss or in anywhere ever. Like, what is going on with you? And she's just like, uh, it's like very awkward. Like, we can all see the ghost right there next to them. Yeah, it's very, very, very awkward. Um, so eventually his friend, uh, he is able to remember how to disappear. But then. But then um, he uh, the, he. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that he's able to disappear. Uh, so the ghost comes in um, and uh, that's it. That's the kind that's of it. like. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. He, st- he stays around anyway, I believe. Right. Or they swap places. Right. Is that what it is? Yeah. They end up like they end up swapping places and it doesn't matter that they're both like stuck in like weird, like kind of death purgatory. I think that's what it was. Right. So everybody Remember? loses. Yeah. Everybody loses, which I yeah. like. Yep. So then it's like, then this is the the omen. This is one of the things that Craig had thought was that he's going to hear about the death of a man he's never heard of. And there it was. Yes. Um, and so he's he decides he wants to try to leave and get out of there. He's like, I still want to leave. And they're like, no, no, no. We have another story for you because you have to stay because the movie's got to continue. So yes. we get another story. This one I love because um, it's about a dummy. Um, a ventriloquist <laughs> and a yep. dummy. Um, so there's Hugo the dummy and the, Mr. Freyer the ventriloquist. And it's a tale very, very much Puppet Master. And you know how much I love Puppet Master. So I was like, yes, this is yes. like old Puppet Master. It is. It's also, um, there's a movie, have you seen a movie, a movie called Magic also with Anthony Hopkins is about like a killer uh, ventriloquist dummy. Uh, it's we should we should do it. It's a it's a awesome. it's a fun one. Uh, so this is yeah this is evil ventriloquist dummies, and aren't they always? Uh, I would just like to bring a shout out here, if I may, a little tangent. Uh, one of my very favorite places in Las Vegas that doesn't exist anymore uh, was the uh, O'Shea's uh, Museum of Movie Magic, but it was a lot of old ventriloquist dummies, and I used to love to go there because it was a little bit run down and not very well lit. And so it was incredibly creepy fucking creepy to bring people in. And they're like, what the hell is this? And it was just like this whole wall of these really incredibly creepy dummies. I love oh, that Oh, I place. love this so much. I love that. I love old old museums, especially, yes, off the beaten path. I love museums that are a little dusty and the lighting doesn't quite work anymore. And I think it's and brilliant. There was one day that I came to bring a bunch of friends there and they had uh, t- torn it out and just put slot machines in its place and it broke my fucking no. heart. I was so <laughs> sad. That was like the day they closed the Liberace Museum for me. I totally get it. Still devastated. That was so good. So we um, are in this beautiful nightclub, um, you know, and it's it's uh, everything's kind of hopping. And the ventriloquist is he's like one of the most. Can I just point out, by the way, owned by a uh, a black woman. Yeah. Beulah. I was like, oh, and that dress that she has. I was like, Mm -hmm. I need it. I wrote a social notes about it. It looks like it almost looked like the shoulders. It was like gold lame for one or whatever. And I had like bat shoulder wing kind of things off the top. 
beautiful dipping back and just like draped and and just uh and she was owning it. it and i was like hell yeah yeah I so know. it's her club and she runs the night and she's you know trying to make sure that we get mr freyer the the ventriloquist back on stage and are you ready for your number and she does a little number song and all that kind of good stuff and he comes out and all of a sudden you get that it's one of those acts where you know you pretend that the the dummy is smarter than the than the the man running the dummy right that's the whole shtick of Mm-hmm. A, a lot of shtick of, of ventriloquism. And so he's doing the whole thing. But all of a sudden, it seems like it's going a little further than usual because they're supposed to sing a song and the dummy won't let the guy sing the song. He ends up sitting at a table with this guy, uh, Mr. Sylvester, Sylvester Key. We find out that this guy is also a ventriloquist um, and he's like a competitor. And so the dummy's trying to talk him into like working with him. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like he's having this off the cuff conversation with somebody that the audience isn't really a privy to. He's like, okay, but you and me, man, let's work together, having this kind of backstage conversation. Uh, and Max, who is the ventriloquist, is trying to bring him back to normality. And like, we're supposed to sing this song, and we have an act to do, and the dummy's having none of it. And so you can see this kind of fear on Max's face, where he's like, you don't know what Hugo's capable of. Hugo kind of has a mind of his own. And it's that thing where, of course, like, oh, it's part of the act. Like, But what if it's not part of the act what if he's really just terrified for his life yeah he's really like like stockholm syndrome he's really like the like yeah he's like kidnapped by this dummy basically and is being led to do whatever the dummy wants um and so ultimately the show ends and he you know the, the the crowd goes wild they still think it's a great act and whatever um but after the show sylvester comes backstage and comes into the room and Hugo is talking to him on his own and uh, he thinks that it's Max is doing some fun trick because Max, it turns out, is in like the other room. He's like in the um, in the bathroom, you know, cleaning up and stuff after the show. He's like, oh, you're talking to him. And when he picks up the dummy, he had been sitting there by a table by some drinks and the dummy's all wet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's been drinking on his own. Oh, no, this, <laughs> this dummy's an alcoholic. <laughs> it's hard to be a psychotic dummy. You know, it, there's a lot you need to stress killing. Had to have some drinks sometimes. So um, Hugo ends up biting uh, Max's hand, Maxwell Freyer's hand, and like fighting with him basically as he, um, as Max is like yelling at Sylvester to get out of there and like, oh my gosh, why would you take my dummy and all this stuff? Dude's like, dude, 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 no, like it's not like that. Like I don't care. I'm not trying to take this dummy. He's like, why would um, I take your act? It's your yours. I don't. Yeah. Why you? But Hugo seems like he's trying to escape is what it seems like he's ready to have a new master this master he is bored with done with needs someone new so he's basically just trying to make his life a living hell to make him give him up to the next person but that doesn't want to leave as well so it's this weird trap that he's in yeah it's a vicious cycle so anyway um maxwell kind of goes off the deep end and ends up you know drinking too much and kind of falling out of favor and ends up at this bar one night and the hugo's there with him and as usual, because he won't leave his side. And Hugo um, ends up insulting these ladies that try to come and like flirt and have fun with them. And it's just ends up badly. And so they end up in jail. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, where Hugo makes his way actually because Hugo um, actually ends up making his way before this. He ends up in jail because he shoots Sylvester when he tries to take him. Right. Like, yes. he thinks that Sylvester has stolen him because Hugo ends up on his own accord somehow in Sylvester's room. Yes. So the, 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 the psychiatrist, psychiatrist is the one who's telling this story because he is brought in to assess Max. And, you know, Max seems quite 
normal, but is talking nonsense. Like he doesn't seem he's raving. He's not anything. He's quite serene, but you know, he just says, you know, Hugo's in charge. Like you have to talk to him. I can't really help you unless I have him. So I need to have him here because otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah, but they're very dubious of bringing Hugo in because Hugo is how he ended up shooting Sylvester. And so they're like, that's how what sets him off. So we don't want to like set him off. But if we have, you know, all of us here and we're able to like, you know, um, assess him uh, with a team around us, like maybe he'll be OK. Mm-hmm. So they bring up they bring Hugo in and they try to assess him. And that dummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes. He goes into the cell, and like Hugo's like, "I need a new partner." Um, and I made Max do it, and they try to. So he tries to uh, kill Hugo and uh, smashes his face in. Um, and then, but but, but then, uh, Sylvester. He's waiting for Sylvester somehow. Hello, Sylvester. I've been waiting for you. So the, you can't you can't kill him. He's yeah, you bring Sylvester in because the spirit of Hugo is now in Max and he sounds exactly like him and he doesn't sound like himself anymore. Yes. And uh-oh, it's the spirit, the broken spirit has separated. So they weren't sure if it was like a, like a disassociative like kind of moment or something like that. Like if he was always both of them. Um, right. And, and it's, that was his it's, alter you ego. It can go either way, right? It's either he's crackers and this is his, his alter ego or there really was some sort of force in the dummy. Uh, whatever supernatural you'd, whatever you'd like to believe yeah uh but right after this the doctor's glasses get broken and, and it's dark now lights go out uh so we he's starting to freak out and they're saying we're your friends we just want to help you like everything's fine uh but it's too much for him um and he wants to kill them yeah, well, the people all leave. Well, they left. They left on their own accord for some other reason. But then he's just left in the room with a blind doctor, basically now. And the doctor's like, "What's going on? All disoriented. I don't know what's happening." And Craig's like, "I'm compelled to do something terrible right now." Da-da-da-da. I'm compelled to take this and kill you. And he strangles. And he goes to strangle the doctor. Uh, and it starts to get real trippy and cool here. A really uh, fun cinematography. He runs through all the other sequences and yeah yeah. so that's really really cool uh so he ends up like getting strangled by hugo and another thing and he's in the room with the mirror first and then he's Mm -hmm. strangled with hugo yeah and then he sees the hearse man who's now a policeman yes uh so he's running through all the things and then all of a sudden wakes up it's like oh another nightmare interesting and then the phone rings and says, hey, you want to come out to this house in the countryside for the weekend? Uh, to Mr. Pilgrim's Architect? Farm in Kent? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you have to go uh, all of a sudden, the beginning of the movie, we see again as he drives out to the countryside to the same exact cottage and is greeted by the same people. Yes. Bum, so bum, it's bum. all a big circle just going round and round and round. Uh, I loop. thought, yeah, it... it felt uh very christopher nolan this movie yeah there's a lot of mind fuckery going on in this movie of uh, on a level that i feel like i haven't really seen in 1945 so it felt almost uh quantum physics-y a little like a little multiverse deja vu weirdness early inception there's a lot of a lot i feel like probably a lot of filmmakers i'm guessing have seen this because it was very like i was like this are all these movies we love have taken from this movie yeah, 100%. So I, I can't recommend this movie highly enough. Thank you, Sarah, for recommending it because I really enjoyed it. So here's a question, though. How do you survive a movie like this? Because if you're compelled in this whatever you in cycle the loop. loop 
how do so you sorry. get out of something like so that? So sorry, you in the loop now. You got either got to do something totally different and just be like, I'm not going to the country house. Like, just be like, so sorry, can't help them, you know, and just like the problem is, is you can't remember, as he said, all of a sudden, I don't remember why, but I have to go there. Then all of a sudden I remember when I walk in the room, but right. he doesn't remember till he's there. So the hard part is like, how can you help yourself remember? Is there a signifier you can give yourself ex- immediately when you wake up? Right. Like, well, it seems like uh, you would just, it, I would say, uh, you know, a horror movie spot I got a tip is just if something feels a little bit hinky, don't do it. If this is, because for, I feel like being invited out to go to a stranger's house for a weekend as an architect is a little strange. Like, okay, I understand I have to come out and see your thing, but like, oh, stay for the weekend. And, you know, it must be pretty far out in this countryside is the thinking. But I guess if you feel like it feels a little weird to begin with, maybe not. Maybe trust your instincts there would be my recommendation. Right. But money, you never know. I know. But I don't money. know what and his the, situation and, is. And, and yeah, the flip side of that is like, oh, these rich people want to invite me out and like put me up and feed me and drinks all weekend. Well, it just maybe. reminded me a little bit of like um, Vampires Lesbos, where oh, she's yes. like, yeah, I'm going to go out to this house for the weekend. Yeah. Kind of similar thing where you're like, oh, but you have to stay overnight here now. And now you're like, it's like this whole like real estate deal i was like is this just what rich people do like they're like i'm gonna fly you to this place you're gonna have to go out to this far off joint maybe we need to be fancy architects maybe we have missed our calling we could be hanging out with beautiful lesbian vampires architect (laughs) podcast and let us know if you need fancy architects to go to your fancy home for the weekend to assess the situation and maybe be haunted by ghosts or vampires yes here we've rebranded we've (laughs) rebranded Fancy Architect Survival Guide. Here we go. Uh, let's do some gore factor for this movie. One, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a puddle of blood. Three, is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, a bathtub of blood. And five, is run for the barf bag. We give this movie a one, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. There is real no gore in this movie. There's implied throat slitting. There's some strangling. There's some accidents, but nothing gory. It is 1945 no. after all, so... You know, yeah, it doesn't, but it can still be exciting and terrifying without the gore. We always say that. Yeah, it's like a lot of little fun cut to cut to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have my little sheet in front of me. You guys would well, think I would I, know have these well, memorized by now. I but will Julia does. Happily, happily do it for you. Movie ratings is zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastic oracle. I give this movie a five. Fantastic oracle. I also gave this movie a five. It's a double five for us. Yeah. This movie is fantastical. Like you said, it's also, I just felt all the history of cinema. I felt like wrapped around. I was like, oh, this is like literally the baseline of horror cinema. Like there's so much, like the tension's really great. The wraparound story was just as good as mm-hmm. the, um, as each one of the individual stories. Um, it was creepy. Um, especially the, I really was kind of obsessed. What really tied it for me was the ending where he ran through all the stories at the end yeah. and like how he really was the through line. And then I was just like, Oh, this is genius. It wasn't, it wasn't just a like done. We're done with this anthology. It's like, no, Holy crap. You guys took it to the next level mm-hmm. and incorporated this main storyteller through like the whole thing. So well done, well acted, beautifully shot. Um, highly recommend, highly yeah. recommend. Yes, yeah. definitely. I loved how heady it was and I love how, uh, it was super smart 
and didn't treat you like you were stupid at all, which I think a lot of horror movies have that downfall. Uh, and I think it was neat that you had all these different writers, all these different directors, so each flashback felt a little bit different, which was really fun. I think it's unusual to get a horror anthology where the wraparound story is as good as the actual stories themselves. Correct, correct. And, and I feel like as a horror anthology goes, this is now one of my favorites. Uh, I feel like it's really, really sets the bar really high. Uh, and, you know, a lot of horror anthologies, the, the problem with them is that a lot of some of the stories are good, but some of the stories are not so good. And I feel like this one, all of them were good. So everything was top notch. Yeah, agreed. Top notch, top drawer. Well, speaking acted. of some some top drawer, top notch next week. We're going to be talking about a movie that Terry and I love very much, have since youth, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop Shop of Horrors. I cannot wait. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm so excited to talk about it. This is one of Sierra's picks as well. And I can't believe we've never done it on the show. I know. Even on our like horror musical section. I think we just were like, we both love it so much. We're just like, oh, yeah, we'll. It feels like we talk about it a lot, maybe, <laughs> in real life. So we haven't talked about it on the show yet. So I'm excited to, to tackle that next week. Hope you enjoy. Uh, join us. Obviously, if you haven't watched it, watch it. I can't believe if you haven't. That's wild. Just watch it's, it. It's, it's joy on film. And if you haven't watched it in a long time, I recommend a rewatch because uh, it's going back to Broadway. Um, it's There was a great production last year um, or the year before that. Feel like last year was a blur anyway, right? Um, at Pasadena Playhouse here in LA, super great, beautiful uh, updates have been happening, and I feel like again it's one of those stories that just uh, it keeps getting better, better uh, and better. So uh, find us online. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a Patreon. We would love your support. We also have a Teespring store if you would like to buy some gifties, horror movie store guide gifties. They are there for you to look at: shirts, mugs, t-shirts, uh, totes, and whatnot totes my goats we will see you next week for a little shop of horrors yeah total eclipse of the sun doo doo